0: Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women in BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Woman Tech Show. And I'm so excited because today's guest is someone I feel everyone on the planet should know. Dr. Joanna Gamble George is a neuroscientist, a public health and STEAM advocate, an entrepreneur, an innovator, and an artist. She plays the piano, the alto sax, writes poetry, and she's just a phenomenal woman. I am so excited to have you on the show, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here, too. I mean, when I was reading about you and reading about you because there's so much out there about your work and your impact, I was like, this is a really phenomenal, beautiful Black woman who is creating such great impact in the science and healthcare industry. And how did I not know about her? (laughs) impressive you know resume I mean look at what she is doing and she writes poetry and plays the alto sax I was like this is like where do you find the time
1: (laughs) yeah it's hard at times um what I'm currently doing so um every now and then I just have to like take a break from everything and just do things that I really love and writing poetry is one of them as well as drawing and painting and
0: playing the Apple Six and piano. I mean, do you write your own music too or you just like play some? <laughs> no, I'm not saying no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <a> composer, no. <laughs> well, you know, I'd love you to share some of the highlights of your work because there is no way I'm going to be able to do it justice. As you said, I'm a neuroscientist
1: by training, so I've studied in the past um, how emotions work in the brain using animal models, and I did this in order to find ways to reduce anxiety and depression in people. So where we're looking for drug therapies that can possibly treat anxiety and depression. I've also um, done the same thing for Alzheimer's disease, which is a severe form of dementia, And I've also studied drug addiction in the context of HIV infection. And I looked at um, some of the molecular and cellular consequences of drug abuse, um, particularly focusing on neurotoxicity. Currently, I am a AAAS which stands for the American Association for the Advancement of Science. I'm a science and technology policy fellow through that organization, and I'm stationed at the National Institutes of Health. And as a AAA science and tech policy fellow, I serve as an expert science advisor for other scientists. And these scientists can be physicians, they can be psychologists, nurses, or even data scientists. And they stand all across the United States and they conduct what is called implementation science research. And they're basically trying to understand the barriers and the facilitators um, for implementing interventions that can prevent or treat chronic heart and lung diseases and mental health and people that are living with HIV. Also, um, during my doctoral studies at Vanderbilt University, I co-founded a biotech company that is currently searching for methods to combat brain disorders and other health issues and it's called PsyX a biotech company. I'm currently the COO and the chief scientific and medical officer there, and I'm responsible not only for managing the day-to-day operations of the company, but I'm also responsible for articulating and advancing the scientific strategy of the company. So I will, on a typical day, research different healthcare issues, and try to transform those solutions into action plans uh, for developing software applications or devices that are desired or needed by our potential customers and that also align with what the company really wants to do and envision in the future. And one of the projects that I'm currently involved in is the research behind the development of a wearable device alert system that communicates with medical scientists through blockchain. Um, It has three functions. One is to monitor in real time an individual's health condition. Um, Then it uses um, predictive analytics in order to predict a life-threatening event due to that health condition, Um, just taking in um, pre-existing medical history from a patient, as well as any. they
0: I'm listening to all of this and I'm like, again, where do you find the time? But, you know, too, like this is this is historic, in my opinion, like to be able to start to track, you know, a person's uh, movements and how they're, you know, if they're jogging and then, you know, you receive an alert on your cell phone that says, like, slow down, your heart's, you know, looking different, you know, it's beating abnormally and can be able to give you an alert before you go into, you know, a cardiac arrest event. And then being, and then on top of that, if you are (laughs) to be able to alert, you know, the, the paramedics to come and get you, you know, using geolocation data, like this is, uh, you know, I was, I was reading about this and I'm like, this is the future of technology and healthcare and, and, and humanity, you know, social good all in one, you know, you're, you're doing that.
1: Yes. Um, when we were first thinking about creating Sci-X, what you were saying is what we had in mind. We really wanted to make a social impact. Yeah. And we thought it'd be great to bring different disciplines together because I'm a scientist by training and I work with a lot of technologists, so we thought, let's bring, you know, all our expertise together and let's, let's try to make a difference, not only within the United States but on a global scale. And the wearable device works we thought it would be a, a a great starting point for our company because so many people suffer from heart disease. It's not just in the US, it stands all across the world. And you know, heart disease it can lead to reduced quality of life and a lot of long term disability. And we mm-hmm. both both me and another co founder, we have relatives that suffer from heart disease. And I've had relatives who have passed away as a result of stroke. So we're trying to prevent that from happening. And um, then you have those cases where people, you know, if they're in the midst of having a heart attack or a stroke, they just can't get to the phone in time. Yeah. So we want to try to stop that from happening and help those individuals and get them the help that they need so that, you know, they can get to the hospital in time or any other type of medical care facility and they can meet their heart health team to help them. Um, But the other thing that's really cool about um, this device that we're creating is that we also wanted to be able to communicate with medical providers. Because sometimes, you know, um, when you're having certain... Abnormalities with your vital signs, maybe your heartbeat is beating a little bit irregularly. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a stroke or a heart attack. So, with the device, we also are incorporating aspects where you communicate with a medical provider. Or can even be a nurse practitioner that can talk to you about some of the things you can change about your behavior so you can stop that irregular heartbeat. And then we also have another added layer where we provide very, like, tips on nutrition, you know, what you can eat in order to have more. A- more healthy diet um what are things you can do to reduce maybe you're overexerting yourself that leading to these abnormalities with your vital signs so we're trying to make it very comprehensive where the individual can really take a more active role in you know maintaining their health but also they'll get the assistance that they need when they're in the case of an emergency
0: wow that's pretty incredible so it like monitors your health data tracks it and then gives you feedback on how to prevent you know having a heart attack or a stroke that's just yeah I mean I'm just blown away by that I'm excited that this technology is coming to fruition is it already out or are you where are you at with the so
1: we're still in the creating in the development process right now so it's not currently out and then there's also a lot of regulation we have to go through before it's out in the market so you have to um definitely um go through um regulation by fda um oh, yeah. before we can actually and then we have to also do a clinical trial test it on people um because you know you do have this issue of protecting people's data yeah. because you're doing with their medical histories. So it has to be um, permission by the healthcare system or the medical providers within the healthcare system as well as the patient. So there's a lot of policies we have to you know, bypass and get approval for before we can actually put it on the market and say, oh, here you go, why don't you try it out? And then the other thing we have to do is do a lot of user experience research yeah. um, where we get people to play around with the technology and let us know this is what they like, what they don't like this is what we can improve on to make it better so that it's suitable for not just one type of individual but suitable for people from diverse
0: backgrounds yeah you know I do not envy you because you have to take on the FDA data privacy smart technology issues beta testing implementation I'm like but you know what I'm happy that you're doing that. I'm happy you're doing the work so that one day we are all going to benefit from this technology and your, you know, your scientific research.
1: Yes. Um, And I really couldn't have done it by myself. I have really an awesome team that is really about, you know, making a difference in the world. And we really want to make an impact and really improve humanity. So I have to give kudos to them.
0: (laughs) No person stands alone. That is for sure, especially when you're changing the world uh, on a a global impact. You know, I want to take it a step back because, you know, we all have to start somewhere. (laughs) I'd love to learn more about like what got you into this field. Like, did you wake up and say, I want to be a scientist and change the world and I want to like tackle Alzheimer's? Like, where, <laughs> <laughs> like what person, you know, wakes up and does that? Like, was there a defining moment or how old were you when you really wanted to step into this field?
1: There's two different paths and two things that led to me um, really entering into science. I, when I was a kid, I really did not know what I wanted to do. Um, I kept going back and forth between wanting to be an artist, a a doctor, because I had majored in biology pre-med when I was an undergrad at Xavier University um, of Louisiana. And I was going back between that and also wanting to be a scientist. And it wasn't until I completed a research program while I was a high school student that was sponsored by NASA that I thought about becoming a scientist, but I still wasn't sure even after that summer program. Um, I knew I really wanted to become a scientist later on in life when I was working in a research lab during my graduate studies at the University of South Florida. So while I was finishing up a graduate certificate program in the health sciences, I remember getting an email um, about a volunteer opportunity at a VA hospital to do neuroscience research. So I responded to the email, interviewed with the lab leader, and started doing experiments using drugs that have been known to treat kidney cancer to see if they can treat memory problems such as those in people with a form of dementia like Alzheimer's disease. And that research opportunity was my first chance to do research that concerned the human brain. And after that opportunity, I was really hooked on neuroscience research. A little bit over about two years, I moved from Florida to Tennessee to pursue my PhD in neuroscience at Vanderbilt University. And I just kept on with it after that. Um, So that's the scientist route. Now, the entrepreneur route is a little bit different from that. (laughs) Um, So I grew up between Tampa, Florida and rural Alabama and on a farm, and I was raised by um, a family that truly believed in the importance of acquiring quality education and giving back to the community. And as a result of my upbringing and getting involved at a really early age in programs that support the STEM disciplines, I not only just developed a love for science, I also developed a love for technology. So I remember I had this volunteer experience with the Peace Corps and the University of South Florida to address health disparities in the state of Florida. And I also got a chance to go overseas to increase my passion for um, public health. So, I volunteered overseas in the Dominican Republic and over there, I got a chance to build out houses and provide health education workshops and free um, antiparasitic medication to village residents that encounter daily issues with sanitation and vaccine preventable and vector-borne diseases. And from this experience, I realized the importance of connecting patient-directed resources to medically underserved communities with the help of science and technology. And those experiences uh, really fueled my passion for public health, science, and tech. And it led me to um, get a degree in public health and neuroscience, but later on co-founded biotech company, SciAx, um, near the end of my PhD program when I was at Vanderbilt. So it was like two different tablets. Even though I was doing a lot of the summer programs, and um, getting exposure to research, I think also just getting, doing a lot of community outreach pushed me to pursue entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, because it's so true. Like once you're in a, immersed into an experience, that's, that really is what shapes your decisions and your pathways because, you know, you could have an idea growing up. I want to do this. I mean, none of us really know what we want to do when we're children you know there's a few of us probably but most of us are just winging it or we're trying out a few things and figuring out what you know connects with us but then once we are immersed in those experiences and and then we start to see you know the challenges that that are out there you know that you could that you could potentially solve which then you know I'm I'm excited to hear that because you know while you're there you're like wait I need to merge all of these things together and create a, co- a biotech company. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you're like 1% of the population that would like say that, by the way. <laughs> I, need to, I need to create a biotech company. <laughs> I love it. What were some of the challenges that you faced as a Black woman in science and also in biotech?
1: So I would say... One challenge has been, I think, as a scientist, sometimes people always see me as a researcher but not as an
0: innovator. Mm, um, yeah. Try to get people to buy
1: in that scientists are are also innovators, because there are scientists that come up with drug therapies. Um, just think about the flu shot that we get. Um Think about the individual that came up with penicillin, you know? So, we are innovators. Yeah. Um, So, just getting people to buy into the fact that, hey, I'm a scientist now turning into a technologist has taken some time. So, what I've done is try to understand a little bit more about the technical lingo to get them to realize that I do understand technology and I'm actually really involved in it. Um, the other challenge as a black woman in STEM I faced during my career um, has been that people are not always accepting of me externally um, even with my educational credentials, my talent and skill set um, as a scientist um, because they have these preconceived ideas or notions about what they think a scientist should look like externally and sometimes, these indignities can really bother me, but I really try not to let them dampen my spirit. I always keep pushing on and really just keeping true to myself and staying focused on the things that I want to accomplish in life.
0: Yeah, because I can imagine, you know, like you were one of 600 young researchers selected out of 20,000 applicants to a twin, the sixty fourth. Uh, Lindau Nobel laureate meeting uh, in Germany like what was that experience like for you because I imagine like you probably were one of few people of color much less women of color right yes it wasn't
1: that many of us there but it was it was oh my it was such an awesome experience (laughs) Oh, wow. It was amazing. Um, Just being there listening to the different lectures from the Nobel laureates and um, getting an actual chance to have one-on-one conversations with them um, was just awesome. Uh, One of them I remember, the thing that really um, struck me So it was a female Nobel laureate, and we were sitting down having um, dinner with her, and she was just surrounded by nothing but females. And it was just so cool that all of us came were like all diverse. So you had somebody that might self-identify as a person of color. You had somebody who was Native American there. I was there, black. You know, you had somebody who was Anglo-Saxon Caucasian. So, but we were all women. And she said to us,
0: she's like, you know. You're here because you deserve to be here. Oh, yes.
1: And she told me that we expect out of you extraordinary things because you are an extraordinary person. And that, oh my, that made me feel so, so good. Oh. Of having to have those experiences where people didn't accept me. And then to have this woman who is just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm like, wow, she's a Nobel laureate, saying that I'm extraordinary. I'm, I am was I was just a student at the time. I wasn't a faculty member. I hadn't discovered anything yet. It was just, it really touched me. But, and, but it allowed me to see that no matter what people say or what they think about you, does not determine your course of life and what you're going to become. It does not determine your abilities, you know, into accomplishing things that have not been done before. So it was just such an inspirational experience.
0: I love that because she saw your potential. The fact that you were sitting in that room, Dr. Joy, is proof enough that you deserved to be there. I'm so glad that you had that experience so that we can be able to benefit from the amazing things that you are creating in the planet right now. I think this is a perfect time to go into our iconic woman profile. So we're gonna take a moment to learn about today's iconic woman in history. And now it's time for today's pioneering women segment. Today's pioneering woman is Marie Curie. Curie was a Polish-born French physicist and was famous for her work on radioactivity. Through her career, Curie was a two-time winner of the Nobel Prize. Her husband, Pierre Curie, later joined her in her work and helped with the discovery of the new elements, polonium and radium. Curie birthed their two daughters, Irene and Eve, and later guided them in the same field of study. One of Marie Curie's outstanding achievements was to have understood the need to accumulate intense radioactive sources, not only to treat illness, but also to maintain an abundant supply for research in nuclear physics. In 1934, after the discovery of artificial radioactivity, Curie died as a result of leukemia caused by the action of radiation. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Marie Curie. So everybody, welcome back. We're here with Dr. Joy talking about the amazing things she's doing right now in neuroscience. I I mean, I am so blown away by what you're building right now and the challenges that you're combating. You know, as an experienced scientist, you have over a decade of research expertise in Alzheimer's disease, stress-related disorders drug addiction, and neurotoxicity. Have you come across the disparities in healthcare for Black and brown communities? And how do you combat that? So I
1: have um, come across, um, not necessarily directly in the research that I'm currently doing, because the research I'm working on looks at drug therapies. I use a lot of animal models. But just from the background, there are disparities where... Ethnic and racial minorities do suffer more from uh, stress related, trauma related um, anxiety and depressive disorders. Um, The way to combat it, I think we have to do it at different levels. So we can always do. It at the level from a cellular or molecular standpoint, where we're looking for you know biomarkers to treat the conditions, but we also have to do everything also in a context with the individual. So we do have to take into consideration social determinants of health. Um, so there are factors where um, ethnic and racial racial minorities, so if you individual indigenous people of color have disproportionately. Suffered health disparities due to the fact that sometimes they just don't have access to the health care they need or they cannot afford the health care. Or even if it's available, the quality of it is poor. Yeah. And also, sometimes within the healthcare care system, there are implicit biases or even explicit biases um, that ethnic and racial minorities face um, where they're not treated properly. Um, by healthcare professionals when they're trying to um, get treated for an ailment. And then you also have to think about um, research history distress in some of the communities um, where research has been done unethically on ethnic and racial populations and not for the benefit of helping them, but actually hurting them. Mm. Um, so taking all of that into consideration, Um, you have to just think there are things at different levels on how to combat the issue Um, you can't always look at it well let me just create a drug and that will make all the problems go away Um, sometimes some of the problems are institutionalized or systemic Um, it's not necessarily there's something just wrong with the host it could be there's something wrong with the environment that the individual is currently living in or dwelling in and the interactions that that individual has with their environment, whether it's an, another person or it's just a culture of an organization can possibly lead to, you know, anxiety and depressive disorders. So we just have to look at things at different levels. We have to combat it come at it from a scientific perspective, creating therapies, but not, also know that the therapies also need to involve um, disciplines such as sociology, psychology, not just the basic sciences. We also need to create programs that really address health disparities from different perspectives and really look at social determinants of health. Um, as well as policies to um, make sure things are in place, especially safeguards to protect ethnic and racial minorities that are really impacted um, when they don't have access to care or they don't have the right care, you know, that is available to meet their health care needs.
0: Yeah. Are you, you know, in your work with Psyx Uh, Are you going to create opportunity for access to some of these devices? Is there a plan for that? Oh, yes. Yes, there is. Um, Because we want to make sure that the wearable devices um,
1: reach a very diverse and large population. We don't want it to be where only people that make a certain income can afford it. So... One way to do that is create um, buy-in with insurance companies and get them to really um, buy into the technology by us saying that, you know, this technology will help to drive down healthcare costs. Yeah. Um, And maybe if they, you know, take the, (laughs) or support the technology, they will probably help with getting it out to the community. en
0: It took me a long time, even as an entrepreneur, you know, and businesswoman, to be able to afford my first smartwatch, <laughs> like, like, and not just afford it, to, but to be able to say, like, oh, you know what, I deserve this. I have the the extra money, right, to like buy this three four hundred dollar watch. And so it's it's definitely true that there's such a gap, you know, in access to be able to. Own smart technology, and I, I, yes. I think mm-hmm. companies need to look at that. It's, it sounds like you've really taken that into consideration in your model. Yes, yes. And I
1: think the other thing we have to also consider um, is the digital divide.
0: Um, yep. Because not everybody has
1: access to the same bandwidth when it comes to um, internet, and sometimes just affording internet services is very expensive. Um. So we definitely have to look into um, maybe collaborating with community organizations um, and other institutions where we can not only provide this wearable device, since it is an internet of things, um, but also help with addressing that divide so that we can get it to um, communities that are under, um, it could be underdeveloped, um, like getting it out to remote areas where people are far from health care facilities, um, as well as communities that are very impoverished or poor. Um, so that's one thing we're definitely um, thinking about and considering down the
0: line. You know what I love about you, besides all the other things I've learned about you so far, is that you think about things like holistically. You know, you take a whole view, which is not something that... I mean, I wouldn't expect a scientist to you know scientists that are focused on you know the 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 problem like here's the one thing I want to solve like you're looking at everything from all the angles which I think is incredibly impressive thank you for showing up in the world (laughs) (laughs) so I read that when you were when you were younger you like to take things apart and put them back together again what is, oh, what is like, the most recent project that allowed you to do that?
1: I wouldn't say project. <laughs> <laughs> I would say my curiosity. Um thing I remember, I took a part and put it back together again. I think it was my external hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: there was something, like, loose inside, and I just had to fix <laughs> it. So I took it... Um, apart. <laughs> that was one thing. Um Were you able to thing, put it back together again? <laughs> I actually was able to put it back together and it worked fine. Um,
1: so that's like the latest thing. I haven't actually worked on a project where I took something apart. No. It's just usually my curiosity that would lead me to do things like
0: that. <laughs> Well, you know, like, I, I love that you're so open, you know, here at the Wonder Woman Tech show, one of the things that we are so passionate about is creating a safe space and to, to have open communication and talk about things that matter. I want you to share something with us that you've never shared before. <laughs> <laughs> I now. Take your time. We're here for the magic. Okay. <laughs> I've never shared before. Wow.
1: Okay. So I am in the process of actually writing a book on artificial intelligence. Um, so that's one of the projects I'm working on right now on the side. And it's also focused on drug discovery uh, along with um, other types of
0: technologies That's one thing I have not told anybody yet. That is, I mean, I'm sitting here going, okay, she's, this, these are all the things she's doing, has done, will do. And now you just, now you're writing a book on artificial intelligence. Dr. Joy, I just, (laughs) I mean, like I'm moving Oprah off my vision board and I'm putting you on (laughs) like, I want to be her when I grow up. Like, that is outstanding. I'm just like, you are, you know, you should be every young Black woman's role model and every woman's role model for that matter. Because, you know, wow. Like, does your brain, do you ever think to yourself, like, like, who am I or where is this brain coming from? Because (laughs) I love it. Um, so do you, uh, tell us about your personal life. Do you live with, are you married? Do you live with, do you have children? No, no kids. I'm not married. I don't have any kids.
1: Um, I am in a relationship. So I do have time and I
0: do go out and socialize. Oh, good. Yes, <laughs> I'm not always working I really
1: am a true believer of having a good work life balance I don't like always being immersed in work all the time I like to just enjoy life and I think everybody should enjoy life there's just so much out there to explore and to see I love going on road trips in my spare time um, and I love traveling to different parts of the world so I have Travel to um, Istanbul, Turkey, and then to Addis Ababa, um, Ethiopia. I would love one day to go to Australia.
0: Um, oh, yeah.
1: And, yeah, it's definitely I
0: would like to travel to different parts of South America. I mean, I travel is a passion of mine as well. And, of course, we're living in a uh, <laughs> post-COVID world where, you know, that looks a little different you know, we are in a, in a place where so much, so many of us are dealing with stress, right? And like, that's been an area of your research. Do you, is there anything in your work that has proven to be, you know, um, supportive for what's happening in this COVID environment that we're experiencing? I
1: will say, um, one of the things is that when it comes to stress or anxiety that's brought on by stress, um, as individuals, we're very unique and we come from different walks of life. And based off of those experiences and also our values and just how we see life and how we cope with it, um, especially during a really challenging time with the COVID-19 pandemic, we might react differently. and. I found that out um, when I was doing the animal studies, um, we were using this particular drug to treat stress-induced anxiety in the animals, and for some reason, it worked in some, it didn't work in others. So we were just trying to figure out like what is going on. So I realized that even the animals we were working with had individual differences. When it came to how did they react or cope with stress. So I actually had to create a behavioral test that will actually prove that. And I was able to do that. And that just relates to us as humans. We just react differently mm-hmm. based off of the things that we've been in life. Um, my suggestions to people is really... I know this is a trying time because I know some people are required to you know, go into work during... Um, the pandemic and still work. Some people are struggling financially, um, are falling on hard times because of it. And we just, at the end of the day, we have to do things to try to make us happy in life. So I always um, try to tell people to just think about things or do things that will help you to release stress or that you truly enjoy. Um, and try to just take in every moment of your life um, and just try to live that best life, even during trying and challenging times.
0: Yeah, I mean it's so important that we do take that moment to have self-care, do the things that we love. You know, a lot of us are in a a space of grief. I was just talking to somebody yesterday who um, was telling me that she can't shake the grief she feels and and so we are all collectively going through through probably the single most, you know, anxiety-induced stress-related, like, global event of our lifetime. So this is an important time to take stock of, of what makes us happy. Dr. Joy, it's been so great chatting with you. Um, I want to, I have one last question. Would you take the easy road or the road less traveled by? And why?
1: I would take the road less traveled by. I believe that when it comes to anyone's life journey, it's not always linear. It's not always going straight from point A to B. And even though some of the bumps in the road have been hard for me, I look back at those bumps as ways that has really taught me about how to truly live my life and how to treat people. And it just made me a better person overall. And I think just from those life experiences and those twists and turns in my journey, I've learned so much and I'm just thankful for the exposure and the life experiences and the opportunities to go to different parts of the world and just having the ability to be truly aware and knowledgeable of the different aspects that really make human life what it is.
0: As I said before, like every person should know who you are. I'm so humbled and honored to be able to share you with the world, Dr. Joy. We all need to have that outlook in life and in our profession. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I enjoyed it too. I hope to have you at one of our summits sometime. You need to you need to be one of our speakers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here at innovators. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time.